everyone. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Friendly reminder before we get started today that we are trying to hit 500 subs on YouTube before the upcoming anniversary of our first episode. Yeah, so if you haven't already, please go show us some love there. We would really, really appreciate it. All right, so with that being said, it is time to dive into our latest topic. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting one, I'm not gonna lie. Today we are covering the mystery of the Oakville Blobs. This story has a little bit of everything. The allure of an unsolved mystery with some tragedy sprinkled in, and best of all, it's just so damn weird. It really is, and it raises so many questions. What exactly fell from the sky over the course of a six-week period in 1994? Where did it come from? And why did it make so many people sick? Honestly, this thing sounds like a weird sci-fi movie. It really does. Buckle up, friends. Today's story really shows us that truth can be stranger than fiction. I don't know why I went into this whole thing thinking that it happened in, like, the 50s or something. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's because I hear, like, Oakville blobs and my mind automatically goes to, like, a low-budget 50s sci-fi movie trope. I was surprised that this happened a little less than 30 years ago. You know, I thought exactly the same thing when you gave the idea to cover it. I was like, okay, so we're going back a little ways. Nope. Because <laughs> it, it definitely sounds like something that you'd watch at the drive-in movies with your sweetheart in your like cute little convertible or yes. something. But this is uh, something that occurred in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. And that really just makes it even more bizarre to me. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about how recently this happened is that unlike a lot of the other mysteries that we've covered, there are a ton of witness reports from people who are still alive. If this story is ringing a bell with you, you might be familiar with it due to its appearances on the show Unsolved Mysteries. That's right. Dennis Farina and Robert Stack both covered it, and these episodes are available on YouTube on their channel. Were you an Unsolved Mysteries kid growing up? I don't think it would shock anyone to know that I was. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it being like one of those like sick day shows for me when I was a kid. Mm, and okay. I'm, I'm really, really glad that they brought it back because the new Netflix episodes are really, really solid. I was not an Unsolved Mysteries kid uh, just because I grew up in the UK and everything. But I would have eaten that shit up if I'd had the access to it for sure. Honestly, I tell anyone, like, even the old episodes really hold up, especially when you hear about the ones that were solved because of the show. Mm-hmm, and I have watched a couple now as an adult, and especially over the last little while for the podcast, because they have some really interesting and good information, too. Absolutely. it's It really does, like, hold up while I love it. Mm-hmm. This all started in August of 1994. A police officer named David Lacey was out with a civilian friend of his at around 3 a.m., the two were on a patrol, and things have been pretty quiet so far that night. Oakville itself was a pretty quiet town, and they didn't really go into the evening expecting too much. At the time, 723 people called it home. Many of them had lived there their entire lives. Suddenly, it started to rain. At first, the men didn't think much of it. Oakville was known to be a really rainy place. They quickly realized that whatever was falling from the sky was not water, but rather a strange gelatinous goo. Officer Lacey was reported as saying, We turned our windshield wipers on and it just started smearing to the point where we could almost not see. And we both looked at each other and we said, geez, this isn't right. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, basically. And where did this come from? 
He was eventually forced to pull over at a nearby gas station after it got so bad that he couldn't see. He put on a pair of gloves and decided to inspect the goo further. It was then that he really started to think something wasn't right. He later said, The substance was very mushy. It's almost like if you had jello in your hand and you could pretty much squish it through your fingers. We did have some bells go off in our heads that basically said that this isn't right. This isn't normal. Well, and I mean, what would you think, right? Like you're in a small town where nothing ever happens and it's the middle of the night and suddenly it's raining blobs down on you. Yeah, like, can you blame me for saying this sounds like a sci-fi movie? No, I think many, many people would agree with you. Absolutely. The blobs themselves were roughly the size of half a grain of rice, but they pooled together and they formed larger puddles all around town. They came down in an area of around 20 square miles, sometimes as a small drip, but other times in what was described as a torrential downpour. Now, you've got to admit that all of this on its own would be strange enough. However, this happened not once, not twice, but six times in the span of three weeks. And it didn't take long until people and animals began getting sick. I feel like at this point you'd start to consider like alien invaders from a different planet a possibility. I feel like if it were me, that would be one of my first thoughts. I would immediately, well, we'll get into the theories a little bit later, but I would immediately be like, okay, the government is experimenting on us, or it's aliens. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not good, that's for sure. No. Sunny Barcliffe, a local, reported tiny gelatinous blobs falling from the sky. She was forced to rush her mother, Dottie Hearn, to the hospital after she began to display severe dizziness and nausea. Apparently, Dottie had gone outside after what she thought was a hailstorm, she shared her recollection of events in an interview, saying, It looked like hail laying on top of the wood box and everywhere else, so I just went over and I touched it, and it wasn't hail. It was a gelatinous-like material. A few hours later, Dottie was found on the floor, barely responsive. About this, Sunny said, She was cold, drenched with perspiration, pale. My mother had been vomiting. She had extreme vertigo. She complained that she had difficulty with her vision. Her vision was blurring. Across town, Officer Lacey had also started to feel unwell. He went to the doctor because it got so bad that he couldn't even breathe. It brought him to the point of almost collapsing. He began to think about what could have possibly caused his body to shut down the way it did. A lot of people would report the illness they felt as kind of having like the flu, but a million times worse. Dr. David Little examined Dottie while she was at the hospital and reassured her that she was not sick because of the blobs. Instead, she was feeling unwell due to some inner ear issues and was prescribed some medicine, but she did spend three days in the hospital. Dottie eventually agreed that the timing of it all was a coincidence. The blobs were strange, yeah, but they couldn't be what made her sick. Apparently on the way to the hospital, Sunny decided to collect some of the goo so that it could be later tested. However, this meant she was putting herself in further contact with this unknown substance. And we're gonna go ahead and say that if random goo starts falling from the sky and you can avoid touching it, that's probably gonna be the best bet. Unfortunately, it seems as if not everyone agrees with our thoughts here. Yeah, that's right, because Sunny reported that the symptoms began after she handled the goo herself. Luckily for her, she worked as a director of occupational health and safety, and one of her first thoughts was to take precautions and put on some gloves, a step that Dottie unfortunately missed. She was shocked to see that the goo was everywhere. She could see it on the leaves and the trees, as well as in the grass, and even her truck was covered in it. 
In later interviews, she would report that she felt ill about a week after she had handled the goo, but it wasn't that bad. However, six weeks later, she became sick with severe bronchitis. What do you guys think? Did they get sick because they handled the goo? I mean, how big of a coincidence would that have to be? Sunny Barcliff certainly thought the whole thing was kind of strange. In an interview, she stated, Initially, my mother was treated for Meniere's disease, a disorder of the inner ear. She had extreme vertigo, dizziness, and felt that the room was spinning. Those are all symptoms of that disease. However, she also had a fever and other symptoms of infection. She spent four days in the hospital. Upon her release, I asked Dr. Little what her discharge diagnosis was. He shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know, some type of virus. She did have a complete recovery after she arrived home and over time. Meniere's disease usually manifests as an ongoing problem, but she never had the symptoms again. Sunny also reported that they had a number of cats at the farm who got sick around this time. About this, she said, It's interesting to note that my mother had a plethora of outdoor cats used as mousers in the barns and such. Gradually over the following months, some of those cats also died or went missing. In the time, the remaining cats were able to build up a healthy population again. Even her poor kitten passed away. The interesting thing about this particular kitten is that almost all sources say that the cat suffered from severe health issues. But, according to Sunny herself, the cat was totally fine before all of this happened. She would continue to maintain this even years later. And it only gets weirder. Three weeks later, two of their dogs died. Numerous other people reported feeling sick. Some were lucky enough to only experience the symptoms for a few days, while others were ill for up to three months. One of those people was 77-year-old Beverly Roberts. She first encountered the substance by the side of the road. She saw a dead bird and a frog not too far from it. She put on a pair of gloves and decided to take some home for a closer look. I'm all for curiosity, but I kind of feel like if I found a random substance on the ground, I probably wouldn't go out of my way to bring it into my house. No, I just like, especially if it looked just like goo or something, that'd be the last thing I'd want to be handling. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't take long for Beverly to feel unwell. The following morning, she woke up and was so dizzy that she fell out of bed. She ended up getting enough strength together to get dressed and take herself to the doctor, and she spent almost a week in the hospital. Again, if you remember, this is a pretty small town. It didn't take long until doctors noticed an increase in the amount of people with severe respiratory issues as well as similar inner ear symptoms to Dottie Hearn. There were no human fatalities as a result of the Oakville blob incident, but we do know that numerous animals did pass away. But the town still had no answers. The goo that Sunny collected was tested by a lab technician, and the results of that only left everyone with even more questions. They weren't able to pinpoint what it was. All they knew was that it contained something no one expected. Human white blood cells. So the goo that rained from the sky contained blood cells from people. Something interesting to note here is that in later interviews, Sunny specified that the substance was looked at from under a microscope, but the lab did not do a chemical analysis on it. She also mentioned that the majority of people working at the lab seemed incredibly hesitant to do so. Eventually, Sunny spoke to Dr. Kobayashi at the Washington State Health Laboratory, who agreed to test the substance further. She mailed it off, and it was received by Mike McDowell, who is an epidemiologist on their staff. He placed it on the bacteria media and decided to wait to see if anything would grow from the substance. 
He discovered that it contained two types of bacteria, Pseudomonas fluorescens and Entobacter cloacae. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, that's absolutely okay, because when I read that, it meant nothing to me. But I looked up the terms, and essentially the first type can cause things like digestive distress, while the other can lead to things like UTIs and respiratory infections. So it checks out. And these bacteria are also found in the human digestive system. So kind of like poop. <laughs> That's exactly what some of their first thoughts were. It was thought that it could be human waste that dropped from a plane. The waste mixture could have contained antifreeze, which would explain why the animals died after coming into contact with it. But the Federal Aviation Administration quickly debunked this theory. Apparently, under their rules and regulations, all human waste is dyed blue, and this substance, like we said, was clear. That's right, and apparently they have very strict rules on releasing the waste during a flight. I'm really glad about that. No kidding. I don't know if you, you've you seen it or if you remember um, Joe Dirt with David Spade and he has the like giant, what he thinks is a giant meteor and then it turns out to be blue ice from a plane. Oh my god, ew. <laughs> so nasty, but oh my god, that was a long time ago. So it looks like that theory was out of the question. A spokesman for the FAA commented on it saying, We don't know what it is or where it came from. It's a puzzle. As far as they knew, the origin of the substance and what it really was was still a mystery. Over the course of three weeks, the strange material would rain down from the sky six more times. This resulted in dozens of people coming down with the same symptoms as Dottie and the rest of them. Mike McDowell decided that he would hang on to the specimens and keep a further eye on them. And once again, here's where things get a little freaky. After a ton of testing, he finally concluded that the goo was most likely not only man-made, but that it was created to be used as a matrix, something capable of transporting bacteria. He did what he thought was the right thing and spoke to his supervisor about what he had discovered. Shortly after that, the samples mysteriously went missing. And once again, he went to his supervisor to tell him what had happened. Poor Mike was just out there trying to do the right thing and all this weird stuff is happening to him. No kidding. His supervisor basically told him to drop it and stop asking questions. If that's not a humongous red flag. Right? Like, that's not what you want to hear when they're just like, listen, shut up. And I mean, he didn't speak of it again until after he retired in an interview with the National Geographic Channel. That was when he finally admitted that the substance had gone missing and that this was the only time in his 30 years in the field that something like that had happened. Yeah, I mean, a bacterial sample going missing from a lab is never a good thing. Like, I would mm -hmm. hope this isn't something that happens on a regular basis. And if it is, I almost don't want to know. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure it does. I'm sure, not to get uh, all tinfoil hat on us here, but I'm sure things like this happen all the time. You know, where people bring stuff to authority figures to get things looked at and they're like yeah 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 sure 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 and then nothing ever happens you know honestly i think if we've ever done a tinfoil hat episode it's this <laughs> very much so because that's how i feel and wait until we get to all the other stuff you guys mm -hmm. like by the yes. end of this we're all gonna be wearing our tinfoil hats <laughs> well almost a year after the initial incident Dottie decided to explore the matter further Luckily, she had stored some of the goo in her freezer. Again, I wouldn't want this in my house, let alone anywhere near my food. No kidding, like what if it was radioactive or something, yeah. you know? 
This time, rather than taking it to a hospital or a larger authority, she had it tested by a private company, Amtest Laboratories, where it was tested by microbiologist Tim Davis. And once again, things got weirder. He saw what he believed was a eukaryotic cell, meaning that it had a definable nucleus. This led to the belief that whatever this was had at some point been alive. And this, once again, just left them with more questions. The concern was that this stuff was clearly dangerous and they still didn't know where it had come from. However, the people of Oakville were presented with a new potential culprit, jellyfish. And if you're wondering to yourself how jellyfish that belong in the ocean can end up falling from the sky, well, don't worry because those were also exactly our thoughts. The idea was that the military, who often conducted tests nearby, dropped a bomb into the ocean and blew up a school of jellyfish. They then dispersed into a rain cloud. And this led to chunks of jellyfish raining down from the sky. Sunny Barcliffe certainly had something to say about that. Someone theorized that since the Navy had been conducting live bombing runs at sea, they might have blown up a school of jellyfish. And of course, this jellyfish would have been thrown up into the air and floated 50 miles inland and over a period of three weeks fallen six times. I find that somewhat preposterous. And I mean, she's really not wrong. If we have anyone listening that thinks this could be it and you have info that actually explains why, please share it with us. We just don't see that this is like a likely explanation at all. No, I don't think so. I feel like even though it was still goo, it would have been too heavy to it like it would have all come down at once kind of thing instead of yeah, dispersing over the there. course. Yeah, exactly. Because Dottie also brings up another really good point in an interview. She talks about how if the goo was actually blown up vaporized jellyfish, it would have stunk, especially after a few weeks. Now, some of the locals really liked this idea and soon enough there was talk of an annual jellyfish festival. Local bars even came up with jellyfish-themed drinks and people just ate it up. That being said, other theories still came up. Perhaps the military was involved, but in a more nefarious way. People had reported an increase in military aircraft in their skies around that time. One Oakville citizen, Maurice Gobiel, was reported as saying, They let off things in the air all the time here. There's testing done all over the place. There are lots of places you can't go into. This spurred many theories regarding biological warfare testing. Beverly Roberts had her own theories on that. Maybe we were a biological experiment of some kind, a small one, maybe just to get people a little bit sick to find out, say, if an enemy did come over here with a biological bomb or something and dropped it, maybe it was just a test run to see how or what would happen. Something like this isn't completely out of the question either. The U.S. military has conducted countless tests on innocent civilians, most of which are really shocking. True. I mean, even um, it just made me think of the sarin gas that we talked about when we were talking about Om Shinrikyo and how the testing for that was done on, like, innocent soldiers that had no idea what they were going into, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's tons of this sort of topic that we do eventually want to cover. For me, it's the psychological experiments, like especially when you look at things like MK Ultra, they're they're fascinating, but they're horrifying. Mm-hmm. As for Sunny, she stated in an interview that over the years she has kept certain information to herself, 
and that she still firmly believes that the incident was a military experiment. Beverly Roberts apparently saved some of the substance herself and kept it hidden on her property. She stated in an interview that she kind of forgot about it until one day a Japanese TV crew called her to talk about the Oakville blob incident. They offered her $100 for the sample and she sent it off to them. As far as we know, the whereabouts of that sample are currently unknown. This stuff certainly has a bad habit of disappearing suspiciously, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. There is one more theory that some people believe to be somewhat credible. A little something called star jelly, also referred to as astral jelly, or astromycin. The Welsh refer to it as the rot of the stars, and the entire name just reminds me of something from, like, Stardew Valley. Sounds very dramatic, right? Like, Yeah. This stuff is a bit of a mystery in itself, but it's very, very interesting. Star jelly has been reported since around the 14th century. Original theories said that it came from the sky during meteor showers, but its real origins are still unknown. It's been thought to be made from algae, sodium polyacrylate crystals, or even the remains of frogs. And there are those who believe that it may have supernatural origins. In 1979, a paranormal magazine called Fate published an article about star jelly, where they said that it absolutely had an extraterrestrial origin. Some even believe that it's the remains of atmospheric beasts. A more earthly theory is that it's simply a type of lichen called nostoc, which forms on the ground and grows quickly, often causing people to think that it appeared out of nowhere. As for what happened to the rest of the goo, it simply disappeared. Seriously, it seems as if no one knows where the rest of the stuff ended up, and unless someone else is hiding some deep within their freezer, we can assume that we may never know just what it was. Unless, of course, it happens again. Now, I don't know if you feel this way, but this story had me thinking about the whole situation in Ohio, where people are posting weird stuff all over their cars in the ground mm -hmm. after the derailment. Yeah. And the government's like, you're fine. Like, Yeah, the drinking water's fine. Don't yeah. worry about all those seagulls that died in a parking lot. No biggie. Yeah, you're great. <laughs> Biological testing isn't completely out of the question because it happens. Yeah, it certainly does. We want to take a quick second to talk about a little thing called Operation Sea Spray. This happened back in 1950, but it didn't become public knowledge until 1976. Starting on September 26, 1950, a Navy ship spent six days at sea spraying a bacteria called Ceratia into the sky a few miles off the northern coast of California. They then took samples from 43 different sites to see how quickly it had spread. It had made its way to San Francisco and many of its surrounding suburbs. They claimed that they had no reason to believe Ceratia could harm living beings and considered the experiment a success because it proved that biological warfare could happen. And to me, this is like, let's poison our people to see if someone else can potentially poison our people. I call that sinking the ship to kill the captain. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate, yeah. A week later, 11 local residents checked into Stanford University Hospital with raging UTIs. They tested their urine and found that it all contained the same red pathogen, and this pathogen was linked to Ceratia. 
Infections caused by Serratia are incredibly rare, which is why this caused alarm bells to go off. And quite frankly, if I ever found out that I had gotten a UTI as the result of military experimentation, let me tell you, I'd be fucking furious. Oh my god. I Like, there, I, oh. Mm-mm. Of mm-mm. all the things. Awful. Like, that's unpleasant as hell. That's almost adding insult to injury. It's like, not only are we gonna hurt you, we're just gonna make it, like, real We're shitty. gonna make your life a bitch for the next few days or so (laughs) exactly now this test it did claim the life of one man edward nevin he had experienced the effects and checked into the hospital a few days after he had prostate surgery poor edward that's so sad isn't that oh (sighs) if this shocks you then you'll just love to know that this kept happening until 1969 there's a lot to cover there and that's by no means an in-depth explanation of operation sea spray at all although if you want one we could consider doing an episode on it yeah let us know We just wanted to show you all that the idea of this being military run is not all that outlandish at all. And I think that we have all officially hit the tinfoil hat part of our podcast episode right now. I mean, it was bound to happen eventually. Yeah. We haven't really had a chance to discuss a case like this for a little while, and we always love sharing our own theories with you all, and we encourage you, of course, to share yours with us. So what do you think it was, Dina? I don't know. I mean, is it that out of the question that it was an experiment? Like, I don't think I, so. <laughs> right? I mean, really, I think we can agree. Like, I really want to know what other people end up thinking. This kind of thing, experiments, they do happen. I like the idea of star jelly, unless it's made out of pieces of frog. But <laughs> Yeah, poor frog. To me, that's just such a, like, magical ex- I was like, going to say, it's almost sort of romantic in a way. Yes, yes that's um, exactly it. Unfortunately, I also think it was probably some kind of experiment type thing, you know, like, again, tinfoil hat brigade. But I mean, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And based on uh, government history globally, not just American, um, they're always up to some kind of shady nonsense. And it wouldn't surprise me if they um, basically dropped frog spawn on a town to see what would happen. Yeah, this shit is quacking. There's no doubt. No kidding. We hope you all enjoyed this one. Yeah, we definitely did, I think. I love a good unsolved mystery. Mm-hmm. It, it does make me wonder if we are actually going to get answers here at some point or if it's just going to be a mystery forever. It took 26 years to find out about Operation Sea Spray and we're around the 30-year mark for this, so who knows? We're probably not going to get any answers unless someone's Nana has some hidden in her closet somewhere. Now, um, we are absolutely 100% fully aware that we haven't shut up about next week. Yeah, it's episode 50. We are launching our most massive. Grand, perhaps? Luxurious topic yet? Is that a hint? Maybe that's a hint. (laughs) Wait and find out. Or check out our Patreon, where we post early episode reveals every Wednesday and listen not talking about this one has probably been one of my biggest challenges yet. Like, I've probably been talking your ear off about this <laughs> off mic. Like, I, I'm so excited. It's going to be amazing. We also have another movie night coming up on Patreon. And also, there's just lots of uh, fun content up there for you guys. And as always, we want to take a moment to thank our wonderful Grim VIPs and up. So big thank you to Johnny, Lisa, Pink Flamingo 20, Brian, Hillary, and Mudkip. 
March is a huge month for us. And along with celebrating the one year anniversary since our first episode release, we're going to be announcing a ton of stuff. We've been busy little podcasts and bees for sure. Yeah. So until next week, make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. We're also on TikTok and Facebook, so go look us up. And we're also available on all those good podcast platforms. You can find us on social media. We're going to link all that good stuff for you down below. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. And, uh... Charlotte, ducklings are cute, hey? Of course, yes. Yeah. Did you know that they can engage in cannibalistic behavior out of sheer boredom? Oh my god. I was, that was a roller coaster of a sentence. I did not know that. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye.